From Studio One at the worldwide headquarters of ESPN and from Studio HD in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. It might be arguably the most highly anticipated game one of a non-final series we've ever seen. And last night, the Warriors and Lakers both played to their strengths. And the Lakers won. So now we're left to wonder what is actually sustainable. Can the Lakers maintain it? It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance, and HD. We got everything we wanted last night. And in, in a 117-112 win against the Lakers, we got all the drama you could ask for. We got all the pace you could ask for. We all got all the chaos you could ask for. And the Lakers pull out a huge win in remarkable ways. The question is, when you see the way they won, is that the new method for the rest of the series in your mind? Ooh, I think it's going to be feasible for the Los Angeles Lakers. And a big part of that was Anthony Davis, right? And him being dominant, 30 points, 23 rebounds, four blocks. But I think on the defensive end, it was his presence in the lane that also altered a lot of things for the Golden State Warriors and what they weren't able to do in the paint, like we've seen they were able to do in Game 7 versus Sacramento Kings. I think also when you look at the role players for the Los Angeles Lakers, Those guys really stepped up last night from D'Angelo Russell having 19 points, from Austin Reeves finally coming together late in that game and scoring 10 points. You know, Jared Vanderbilt, a guy who time and time again was playing stifling defense and face guarding Steph Curry and, you know, doing the best that he could in those regards. But I think the biggest piece to last night that no one is really, you know, honing in on and talking about for me is backup point guard Dennis Schroeder and how he was able to come into the basketball game and pick up 94 feet defensively. And we've seen him pick uh, Steph Curry's pocket one time and go down for a layup. But also being very efficient on the offensive end and making whoever was guarding him work tremendously, scoring uh, 19 points as well. So you look at the, back, the backup point guard in a point guard position, you got a combination of 38 points from those two guys. So that was phenomenal and played a, a major part in the Lakers' success last night. Yeah, and, you know, I, I rarely can say I'm right about things, but yesterday when we talked about guys not named AD and LeBron that would make a difference in this series or Steph, uh, it was Schroeder and, and Vanderbilt that I pointed out, specifically from the defensive side of the ball, how would they match up with Curry? And the answer was very good. Uh, the And to your point, we didn't expect that level of offensive production too, but Brian Windhorst on ESPN, uh, on Get Up This Morning, our ESPN NBA insider, made an interesting point about the sustainability of pace of play for the Lakers. There is no way, as great as Anthony Davis played, one of the great games of his career, 30 and 23, there is no way he can play every other day and play 45 minutes like he did in that game. It is too much to ask. He did not come out in the second half. That was on three days rest. I don't think there's any way that they can keep doing it. It is insane to me to think that LeBron James can continue to play that many minutes, over 40 minutes at that pace. The Lakers played at a breakneck pace. They can't keep doing that every day. LeBron will not make it. So it's at least an interesting point, Harry, when you think about what what was asked of LeBron and AD because for everybody else that played lights out, and you're right, a lot of the role players were big, the, the Warriors had no answer for AD's size. They had no answer for LeBron. They they really, when you talk about, like I said in the beginning, both teams playing to their strengths, when the Lakers played to their strengths, the Warriors had zero answer for it. 100%, but I'll tell you, I agree with Wendy. 
I don't think the Lakers can go up, go up and down and play with the pace that the Golden State Warriors play at. Golden State does that on a regular basis. That's not the norm, I would say, for, for the Los Angeles Lakers. Do they like to get out and transition and score buckets? Yes, of course they do. But I think when you have a player like Anthony Davis, who from a skill, a skill standpoint has the advantage over a Kayvon Looney, you look at LeBron James, who I would give him the edge over a Draymond Green or Andrew Wiggins when, when Andrew Wiggins is trying to guard him. I don't think you want to play at that high-speed pace because of the simple fact that LeBron played 40 minutes last night. AD played 44 minutes and didn't come out in the second half. You don't have three days rest. Your next game, today is Wednesday. Your next game is tomorrow, Thursday. So I think when, when, when it comes to Darvin Ham, he's going to have to monitor these things because AD got dirt tired at the end of that game yesterday. And luckily the Lakers were able to come out with the victory. But when you allow the Warriors to go on a 14 to nothing run, that tells me that you're probably fatigued. Your legs aren't there to make shots. And as this series uh, continues to go on, I don't think the Lakers, Lakers can play at that pace like the Warriors do. Look, I mean, it's easy to sit here and just qualify me as a Lakers hater, and I'm not. I, I, I want to loudly say I have nothing but respect for the way they won that game last night. I, I thought they absolutely outmatched uh, the Warriors for a lot of that matchup, and oh, I thought AD was spectacular. Now that I've said that, I mean, I do think that there is some level for the Lakers where you got to find a way to sustain that. And that's what's going to be difficult because at times AD has been up and down and it's asking a lot. I love your point about the every other day because let's remember the Lakers had a few days thanks to the closing of Memphis early to get ready for this game and Sacramento played what, on Sunday? Right, so this is a quick turnaround in a game that was 117-112. So if I'm the Lakers, I love the fact that I was able to assert my dominance. I'm, I love the fact that I was able to essentially do whatever I want under the Rim. I love the fact that there was no easy way for anybody with the Warriors to match up with that. And that looks just that portion of it looks sustainable from a matchup nightmare, right? Like the the yeah. size is going to be an issue for the Warriors throughout the course of this oh, yes. entire series if the Lakers continue to use their size that way. Like when the Lakers come out that aggressive and when they are pinpointed, as you've said, since the beginning of, I don't know, since the, the last month of the season, you've been saying when it goes through AD, they win. Well, you look at what we saw last night. Uh, when it goes through AD and he is that dominant, my God, like there is nothing, there's not an adjustment the Warriors are suddenly going to make well, well, that's no, going to make them better capable of taking on that well, size. Well, well, here's the thing. The numbers backed up uh, what we seen with our eyes yesterday, right? You look at the paint points the Lakers had 54 to the Warriors 28 you look at the free, uh, free throw shooting the Lakers had 29 free throw shot the Golden State Warriors had six you look at the blocks the Lakers had 10 you know Golden State had three but also like you know when the Warriors went on their late run la uh, last night that 14 to no uh, run can somebody tell me why Darvin Ham didn't call a timeout uh, yeah. like I would think you would call a timeout at some point especially when you see Anthony Davis being dog tired so I think moving forward, that's one of the things that Darvin Ham will also look at and say, you know, if we get into this situation again, let me utilize one of my timeouts to get my guys a breather. Yeah, I was a little surprised because if you watched the game last night, there was a moment where it felt like the Lakers were just going to pull away and this wasn't even going to be close, which – to be honest, Harry, was shocking to me. Like, I'm watching yeah. the wheels fall off for the, for Golden State, and I'm shocked, right? 
But then they just started to crawl their way back in. And Golden State, you know, we'll get to the Golden State side of it. They shot very well from three. Uh, every time it felt like they were about to just be out of this thing, they worked their way back into it. I was a little surprised that the Lakers didn't have some way to call a timeout, reset everything, and then just go back to the way that you're kicking their ass, right? Like, hey, yep. th- this is who the Warriors are. And the Warriors did this to Sacramento. The Warriors will do this to to the Lakers, we talked about it in the first round of the playoffs. Sometimes the key to beating the Warriors is can you just survive that run that you know is coming? And they almost didn't survive it last night. Like when it got that hot late in the game, it felt like one of those moments where the Warriors just suddenly turned on the turbo button and there was no answer for it. Now, I will say this like Darvin Ham, he called a timeout, right? When Clay hit a three and they were down, uh, the Warriors were down eight at that point. But I'll tell you this. Two more baskets by the Golden State Warriors, I would have called another one. Just because of the simple fact that, you know, I knew Anthony Davis was going to play that entire half, and I knew, you know, how important of a piece he was to the success of the Lakers yesterday in game one. You know what? Let me give him another blow. I got to give him another blow. Just to make sure things are right and make sure you reiterate to your team, hey, the Golden State Warriors, they're going to go on runs. Don't fade away, though. But take your time, get great possessions, get great shots. And I just thought their legs were shot down the end to the point to where they started missing from outside. And also, you know, guys started selling them for jump shots. And the Warriors will live with those guys taking those jump shots any day. They don't want, they don't want the Lakers scoring in the paint because that's where the Lakers are, are the most dangerous. Well, you mentioned the legs. The legs of the Lakers aren't the only reason that I think Warriors fans can still have a hell of a lot of hope. We'll break down why the Warriors are still wildly in this thing and nothing is settled as we get ready for game two. We'll answer the questions on it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. LeBron James and the Lakers steal home court advantage away from the Warriors with a huge game one win in San Francisco. How will Golden State respond? Coverage begins tomorrow at 8.30 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN. You can also listen on the ESPN app and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Presented by Indeed. and Harry, the podcast. This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. If Steph Curry beats LeBron in this series, and dare I say, wins his fifth NBA championship, we might have to remove LeBron James off of Mount Rushmore and put Steph Curry on it. I'm not trying to say that Steph Curry belongs on it. I'm saying that it's a discussion. Well, that sounds familiar. If Steph Curry beats LeBron James in this playoff series and goes on to win his fifth NBA championship, we need to make some phone calls because I think Mount Rushmore needs to be revisited and there's more conversations that need to be had because of it. But when you look at a guy as Steph Curry, 6'2", what we see from uh, Caitlin Clark right now, the way she's shooting the basketball, you want to know who influenced that? Steph Curry. That's right. You can count the legend, the great, the brand, Stephen A. Smith. 
obviously listens to Fitz and Harry when he's riding around. Taking Harry Douglas's take. It was a bad take when Harry had it. It's a bad take when Stephen A. has it. What? Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, <laughs> the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. And uh, all this conversation comes on the heels of last night's 117-112 win by the Warriors uh, over the Lakers. Uh, a huge, huge win. Sorry, by the Lakers. I, I flipped that. By the Lakers over the Warriors. A huge, huge win for L.A. at Golden State. And Harry? I know. Like, we're all talking about what's going to happen for Steph and what all this could mean. And now we're looking at one game and we're saying, but my God, the way they were dominated. But let me tell you something. If I'm a Warriors fan, I still feel pretty good going. You were the one that told me smartly early on in the first round when I was like, oh, down 2 nothing. Sacramento's got this. And then late in the first round, and I'm like, ah, Sacramento's still got this. You were the one that came in chanting Warriors constantly. So are we still, are we still saying Warriors with our chest around here? Yeah, I am. Just because they lost game one, I'm not going to go haywire and, you know, go in the dumps and think they can't win this series. Um, Obviously, last night they did some amazing things. They had a lot of three-pointers, but I think there were some things they need to clean up. I think number one, and I was so happy when Stan Van Gundy was saying it over and over again late in that ball game because what he was saying late in that ball game, I was saying early in the game. You have to let Steph Curry become the ball handler and be the ball handler, especially when he's getting face guarded time and time again. And I think when you allow someone else to bring that ball up, and I'm not saying Steph has to do it every time down the court, but majority of the times I believe he has to be. When he doesn't do that, I think you're playing into the Lakers' hands and you're making it easy for guys uh, like Jared Vanderbilt and Dennis Schroeder to be able to face guard him. Because let's be honest, you know, I know the Warriors and, you know, Steph and Clay that are running off a lot of screens, but they don't have a traditional team that set those hard, piercing screens like the Golden State Warrior teams of, uh, uh, of the past. So in saying that, put the ball in Steph Curry's, uh, Steph Curry's hand, make the Lakers defense now commit to something else because he's a ball handler, and let everyone else play off of that, in my eyes. So I'm going to give you an extra level of just confidence. Now, you would think – that I would learn about how poorly my hot takes about the Lakers have gone. You would think. You would think I would learn. But as we've established on this show, Harry, I'm a prototypical uh, younger brother, which means I don't actually learn at all. I just double down, right? So I'm going to give you <laughs> another reason why the Warriors should feel pretty good in this. And it's really simple going into game two. You can't trust AD. I don't Ooh. care how anybody wants to talk about what he did last night. In fact, looked up the numbers in the last five playoff games. 31 one night. 12 the next, 31 the next night, 16 the next, 30 the next night, right? We have no idea what that means for the next game. If you if you like your advanced analytics instead and want to go to player efficiency, 25.8 followed by 8.8, 28.3 followed by 19.1. And then last night, the best he's put up, 34.1. What we know from the numbers we've seen even in the playoffs is that AD giveth and AD taketh away. And since he just <laughs> gave you the giveth game, he's going to give you the taketh away game in game two. Book it. And, and listen, you're not wrong in, in anything that you're saying right there, but I think it's the consistency factor that pours into when we talk about a guy named Anthony Davis, right? And we've seen the great, we've seen the highs, we've seen uh, the not-so-great, and we also seen the lows, right, that goes along with the not-so-great. And I think for Anthony Davis, who played 44 minutes last night, and the only day that you have off is today, Wednesday, your mindset going into a game two has to be the same as game one. The thing is, us, the people that are viewing the outs, the, uh, the, the outsiders, uh, the viewers of the game, we don't know if he can be consistent, be consistent in doing so. 
game after game after game because we haven't seen it in a very, very long time. Maybe probably when LeBron James was out, but even then, he would have these monster games and then you don't see him. He will have these monster games and then he sets out a game. Like, right, so the consistency hasn't been there for Anthony Davis quite like it was when the Lakers won their championship down in the bubble. That's a consistent AD that we've seen throughout those playoffs. And that's, I remember by him the taking, way, it, and taking it to Jokic in the, in the um, Western Conference champ, uh, uh, finals, right? Uh, getting the best of Jokic back then. So that was consistent AD. I don't know if we're going to get that in this series, and that's something that may hurt the Lakers but may help the Warriors. And, and that's the consistent hill that I've died on with the Lakers. There's never been a question of if they're talented enough. It's just yep. can you trust them enough? The other thing that you got to feel like normalizes – and. I don't think this is a league conspiracy theory. I think it's a coaching strategy, right? Like last night, the Lakers were 25 of 29 from the free throw line. Not bad. The Warriors were five of six. Mm, mm, five mm. of six from the free throw line. It, when you're getting your butt kicked on size, it felt like the Warriors, they knew they were being funneled to the inside. They knew that was resulting in blocks. They didn't know how to handle it. I've got to feel like Steve Kerr and his team are going to sit down today <laughs> and, and approach that aggressiveness wildly differently. Ha <laughs> ha. I have a theory when the Lakers went on their run, and J.J. Reddick touched on this a little bit this morning, too, on first take. Um, Kayvon Looney was on the bench, and I'm not saying that you don't play Looney and you sit him out or whatnot, but I think there are times in this ball game where you have to have the offensive threats on the offense for the Golden State Warriors to kind of offset the defensive principles that the Los Angeles Lakers came into this game with. Because if two guys are face-guarding Steph Curry and Klay Thompson – now you have two guys on the court in which the Warriors did last night in Kayvon Looney and Draymond Green that Anthony Davis and LeBron James doesn't have to worry about. And when you have, you know, defensive guys like AD and LeBron sitting there just waiting to clog up the paint, I think it created problems for Golden State more so when guys actually got the ball and started driving the lane, they were so worried about the defense from behind and also the shot blocking of Anthony Davis to the point that where they were a little, I think, indecisive instead of just going up with the basketball strong. Also, Draymond Green, you have to be an offensive threat. You can't sit there and let the Lakers disrespect you time and time again. You, you, you showed that you could score the basketball in the last series against the Sacramento Kings. And I'm not saying every time you open Draymond, jack up a shot. No, because I understand your job is to facilitate. But when you have open looks, value those looks. Don't go to the basket and be indecisive like you want to pass, but then you end up throwing up a shot that's wild. It's going off the backboard in the back of the rim because your mind wasn't made up that you're going to be a scorer. Also, Andrew Wiggins, I think he has to be more aggressive. If they're going to basically play a triangle and two on Steph Curry and, and, and Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, you got to be aggressive. You can't go one for five from the three-point line. You have to shoot the ball with confidence. But also, when you have the basketball, you can't just be looking around and try to pass it to Clay and, and Steph all the time. You, you were an integral part of the NBA championship that the Warriors won last season. Be that guy. Don't be timid. Don't second-guess yourself. Go score the basketball. Well, and you mentioned complimentary scoring a lot. Fitz and Harry, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. You mentioned complimentary scoring a lot. What about complimentary work around the glass? Like, complimentary effort, yep. right? Because look at last night. AD had 23 rebounds, which is incredible. So did Kevon Looney, right? So if you take those two and you just cross them out, it doesn't change the fact that the Lakers still out-rebounded the Warriors for the rest of the game. Like, you yeah. got two guys putting up 23 boards. 
the Golden State Warriors got out-efforted on the glass by the other team, right? You, there has to be a spot where you get more than just Kevon Looney out there uh, making that happen. So I think these are all little tweaks that can be fixed, right? Like there is some some level of, uh, I see the problem, I will fix the problem, and by the way, I still trust Steve Kerr. So before we all freak out about what's going to happen for this series, I'm just saying we need to see game two. And if we see game two and the Lakers are up 2 nothing, and this physical just imposing of their will is there, then I will be the first to stand up and say, okay, now we have a theme for the series. But as much as everybody's trying to double down right now on what it all means, I think what it means is we got a badass game one and we're going to get a badass game two and we have no idea what the rest of the series is, is going to look well, like. Well, th- this is going to be a fun series and I think it's actually going to go seven. Um, and I can't, I can't wait. Um, I'm, I'm on my horse. I got my saddle. I'm throwing my cowboy hat, baby, and I'm going to enjoy this ride because this is going to be a hell of a series, Vince. Later in the show, you'll get a breakdown of Tim Legler that you don't want to miss. Legs had the best breakdown I've ever seen from one of our NBA guys when it comes to a shot and a play. A lot of conversation about Jordan Poole's attempt to tie the game. You'll hear what Legs had to say about it, where the play went wrong, and it's not what you think. You'll hear that later in the show. But coming up, the status of the MVP is clearer and his team team is going for the absolute jugular. Hear from him and his coach next. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Joel Embiid has won the NBA Most Valuable Player Award for this season. It means everything. To be able to even qualify and be in this type of conversations, you got to be able to win. And I've always said it, you can't win by yourself. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. The MVP race is over. The man just scored half our points in the NBA game, and I'm biased, but the MVP race is over. Philadelphia 76ers star Joel Embiid has won the NBA's Most Valuable Player Award. It means everything. To be able to even qualify and be in this type of conversations, you got to be able to win. And I've always said it, you can't win by yourself. You can't win by yourself. But the 76ers were able to win without the MVP. They still game one against the Celtics. And the question was, would, now we know Joel Embiid is the MVP, would the MVP also miss game two? That question has been definitively answered. The NBA playoffs, by the way, on ESPN Radio. Tune in tonight. The Celtics host the Sixers, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations on and on Sirius XM Channel 80. It's Fitz and Harry. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, HD, Joel Embiid will play tonight. So for all the questions about what they would do with the one-game-nothing lead with a couple of extra days to give him some rest, Joel Embiid will play tonight. This is what he just said moments ago at his press conference about his availability tonight. It's a possibility, just like it was a possibility in the first game. Um, but, you know, I'm going to listen to those guys and, you know, see what they have to say, the doctors. And, uh, you know, obviously I want to play. Uh, you know, everybody knows me. I, I just love being on the court and I love to play. So there's a possibility and I got the green light. And uh, then, I'm, then we're going to go ahead. But, uh, we, like I said, we're just going to talk about it. Now, he's going to talk about it, but we've got the reports out there. It is out there. He will play tonight. So, what's your reaction? Woo! 
Doc Rivers, they say they going for the juggler. They going for the gusto. That's what happens, man. See, when you win game one, a game without your MVP award winner, you go to game two. Doc Rivers said, we don't have time to be playing around. We don't have time to be letting games slip by. If we can have our MVP out there and he's healthy enough to be out there and help us win a basketball game, game two of this series, let's roll, baby. They're going to roll the dice. But guess what? I'm going to roll, Fitz. And guess what? The Sixers say they're going to roll. 7-0-11, baby. 7-0-11. And I ain't talking about the convenience store that you go get the slur- slurpy slurpees and slushies from. I ain't talking about that 7-11. I'm talking about the 7-11 at the craps table in Vegas. So you know all about that. They rolling the dice because this is a prime opportunity for the Philadelphia 76ers to go up 2-0 in this series. Now, you look at the regular season. They were 1-3 versus the Boston Celtics. So they know how valuable this opportunity is to go up 2-0 in this series against a team that's not playing the best defense like we've seen from them a year ago. So now you add Joel Embiid into the equation of what we've seen James Harden do, what we've seen Ty- Tyrese Maxey do in game one, and also what we've seen uh, Tobias Harris do in game one. They like their chances. They're going for the gusto. Yeah, they are certainly going for the jugular. Fitz and Harry, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. And by the way, I do love me some 7-Eleven. You know, I thought when I moved to New England, I would go to 7-Eleven all the time because I, I love the slushies. Well, not the Slurpee. Not the, not the Slurpee. No, not no, the Slurpee I, I like those. I like those also. But uh, And I also love crap. So either way, it's a win for me. Uh, Doc Rivers uh, earlier talked to Mark Kesterster and PJ Carlissimo after a shoot-around, and they asked Coach, the Sixers head coach, how Embiid looked and about his status. This is what Doc had to say. Yeah, I mean, he looked great today in shoot around. You know, obviously, we still have to wait. Um, and I'm just, you know, he handled it well, too. Like, he, you know, the shoot around before game one, if you had a song sitting there, I walk over, you know, you could see the weight. Like, man, I'm here and I can't play again. And I told him, if this is the worst thing that happens on the way to winning the title, this is not all that. You know, I said, just look at the big picture. And I, I think he's done that. He felt great. We worked out yesterday. So I'm hoping he plays. You know, I, I, I think we're leaning that way for sure. So they are leaning that way. They're hoping. They're obviously still leaving a little bit of window here because you never mm-hmm. know how his body's going to be treating him when he gets close to the game. But to the point that you made earlier, I just feel like when you're Joel Embiid and you sat there last night and you watched yourself win the MVP, right, and your teammates celebrated you and you know what's on the line with the opportunity to go up to nothing. You mentioned this before when it came to Miami and you said very clearly – that if they weren't going to play Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler would have to be part of that conversation. He would have to be part of the I just can't do it combo. I feel like if you're going to Embiid right now, you got to leave the window open in case he isn't feeling right coming back. But this feels like one of those moments where the player is itching too much to knock it back on the court. Everybody knows what's at stake, and the momentum the entire team gets, the lift you get from having the MVP back out on the court – Man, that just feels like Boston is going to have to be prepared to take a bunch of body blows in this game. Well, you, you, you think about all the things that you mentioned, but also to throw cherry on top of what you just said, Fitz, multiple cherries, that is. You think about, you know, the Philadelphia 76ers and the process that they've been going through, this process they've been talking about. From losing a game to Kawhi Leonard that bounced in and then they go on the Toronto Raptors and win the championships. Having a num- championship, having a number one seed, in the East, and then you lose to the Atlanta Hawks. You look at last year, you know, losing to the Miami Heat, 
Joel Embiid gets injured. James Harden isn't himself. Now you come into this season in this playoff appearance uh, with the number three seed in the East. The Milwaukee Bucks, the one seed, have already gone down. Joel Embiid gets, uh, you know, gets banged up. But also now you're facing a two seed in the Boston Celtics and you win game one without your MVP award winner. You throw all of that on top of everything that you just mentioned uh, and Joel Embiid winning the MVP award, he's probably saying to himself, I can't let the city of Philadelphia down. This is a prime opportunity for us to have our best chances to probably make it the NBA finals with me being on, being on this court and taking a 2-0 lead. So I'm going to do any and everything that I can to make sure I'm there for my guys and also the city of Philly. It just speaks to the path, right? Like the the craziest part about the NBA playoffs sometimes is that no matter what you did in the regular season, once you start the playoff season, we'll call it that because it's so long, sometimes the path just carves out in a way that makes it look, look really attainable. You know, at the beginning of the playoffs, we we all looked at it and said, God, the West is just, you know, so tightly compacted. Who knows? You know, and then you look at the East, and I was the idiot that sat there and said, it's Bucks or no one, right? But as the path starts to clear out with Embiid playing the way he can play as an MVP, on top of James Harden coming off the momentum he had from game one, you're right, Harry. It just feels like this is an opportunity, and Philly knows what's in front of him. The players know what's in front of him. You knew this when you were playing in the NFL, that sometimes you were like, man, the, the waters are just separating, and all of a sudden there is a real path that can get us to where we want to be. And that has to give you not only a little adrenaline kick, which helps through this process, but also the little extra motivation to want to get out there. Because you know if you're in bead, you get out there and you can help your team get to 2 nothing. My God, like that that feels uh, nothing's insurmountable. But two nothing taking two games in Boston, my God, that feels like the sort of heavy lift that puts you in a, the real situation to advance. No, I also think when I look at the head coach for the 76ers, Doc Rivers, you look at the training staff and also you look at Joel Embiid, they have to be smart within this process as well. He can't go out there playing 40-plus minutes, Fitz. I don't even think he can go out there and play 38 minutes. we got to remember he's missed some time. He's trying to get acclimated, uh, back acclimated to the game speed of things, playoff basketball game speed. But also, I don't think you do want him to have all that wear and tear on his body within his first game being back. So I think you got to be very dynamic in understanding when y'all need to take him out, when you need to keep him in, and just manage his minutes and not have him be a workhorse and have that workload his first game back. We will keep you updated on every ounce of information we get regarding Embiid's status for tonight. As of now, it looks like he is going to play. Remember, you can listen to that game on ESPN Radio. In the meantime, for all the conversation about the Warriors and Lakers, there was a better game. There was a more dramatic game last night, and the loser, in some ways, may actually be the winner. We'll tell you about it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Find the top products and quantities you need when you need them. Lowe's Knows Pros. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Pointer by LeBron. Good. 
Lakers with their biggest lead of the night, 14 points, 112 to 98. Here is D'Angelo Russell to the rim, puts it up and in. Lakers by two. The Lakers get what they came for. Game one and sees home court against a Warriors team that has not been good on the road this year. We were able to get one in game one, but like I said, we haven't done anything. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. We'll get to the other NBA matchup in the night. It was spectacular in a minute, but, you know, I got I got to throw throw this out here, Harry. Mach in Alaska, one of our best callers. <gasps> you, you, you threw it out the other day. So where's Mach been? Where's Mach been? Where's Mach been? Well, Mach is on the phone calling in now. Mach, where you been, buddy? We've been worried what about you. What the hell, Mach? Hey, gentlemen, gentlemen. Sorry to have him called, you know, fatherhood, work, other duties have been taking my time up. I've missed you guys every day, though, and uh, i got a few things to talk about. I, I think one of the last times we called, uh, asked ask if the Lakers were done, and I told you they weren't done. I'm, I'm doubling <laughs> down on my Lakers <laughs> finals. Oh, Mach, man, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so glad you called in because literally me and Fitz – we asked about you and Melissa. Melissa's been tweeting us, but we were wondering where you have been, and I understand follow duties come first. And, Mach, I'll be honest, and I'll go ahead and tell you, the Lakers are looking pretty damn good right now. Uh, I their believe game, one of, game run of the second round was phenomenal last night versus the Golden State Warriors. I still believe, Mach, that the Warriors are going to win this series, but if the Lakers happen to win this thing, and they get to the Western Conference Finals. Anything can happen from there, Mott. So I'm not going to discredit or discount or count out the Lakers at this point. You moment. were right. You were right. I was wrong, Mott. I hear you. You were right. I was wrong. It, it hurts. But, you know, I'll always admit it when I'm wrong, my friend. <laughs> right on, I was, guys. I was so excited. What do you think of the draft? I think, I think we got some good players in the draft. Fitz and Harry, the Braves are better than I thought they'd be. Look at that. Mach yeah. is hitting all Mach. the bases at once. Mach Who, who's your home NFL run. team? Mach, He's a Raiders NFL fan. Team? He's a Raiders fan, and we all know the Raiders won the draft. That's clear. I mean, clearly the best team in the draft, without question, was uh, my beloved Mach. Are you a Raiders fan? Yeah, Mach is. We tweet about this all the time. Yeah, he's a Raiders. I think is Mach gone? We we lost Mach. All right. Yeah, Mach is a Raiders fan. No, we we tweet about this. I, I wanted to hear from him. I wanted to hear from him, well, not you. You know what? I'm just here. <laughs> I can see the guys, and they told me that we lost him. So, uh, Fitzenary presented by Progressive Insurance for a job you'll love. Visit Progressive.com/careers. Mach, always appreciate you, buddy. Be safe out there. And fatherhood comes uh, before listening to our show. But apparently, man, that's our guy apparently. right there, man. I yeah. was so excited to hear he had called. So last night, I'm watching, and we all knew uh, as we got ready for the first game of the night last night that there'd be no Jimmy Butler. So the question is, what would that mean in that game? And Harry, we also weren't sure what the health would be would, would be for Randall and for Brunson for the Knicks. Well, the Knicks came out, and they got a big win. They got an absolutely a big win. That crowd at the Garden was energized. Superstars everywhere. Hell, even Aaron Rodgers came out of the darkness to sit courtside at the Garden for that one. I don't blame him, right? It was a big, energetic crowd. But I'm telling you, like, quietly, I just sat there thinking, man, this is an impressive effort by the Heat without their guy. They were in it blow for blow, and I really thought at the end they might be able to steal that game. I'm wondering if... It, but the thing is, the crazy thing about this is that Jimmy Butler has the mindset that if he could have went, he would have he went and played in that game. 
I'm looking at how close this game was without Jimmy Butler and so many different guys stay, stepped up. Caleb Martin was phenomenal. You know, Bam uh, Adebayo, he's been doing a phenomenal job for the Miami Heat. I don't think he gets the credit, you know, that he deserves uh, week in and week out. But I will say this. The New York Knicks needed this game. Not they could bypass it, go down 0-2, head to South Beach, and, and they'll be okay. No, they needed this game. And their star player, Jalen Brunson, in which a lot of people keep saying, oh, my God, we should have Donovan Mitchell. The hell with all of that. I don't want to hear it no more. The man has seven points at halftime, finished with 30 points, timely baskets over and over again. But Julius Randle, I said yesterday, Feds, on the show, remember, that they needed Julius Randle to play this basketball game because of the offensive laws that they went into in game one. He was phenomenal as well, 25 points, 12 rebounds, two assists shy of a triple-double. R.J. Barrett has really been stepping up, 24 points last night, shot the ball very effectively from the three-point line. But a player that I think needs attention, Josh Hart. So when the Knicks acquired Josh Hart, and I love him and, and, and Jalen Brunson's relationship, two Villanova guys played together at Villanova, but he hit two timely big threes late in the fourth quarter yesterday that helped the Knicks get that victory. He had 10 points in the fourth quarter. He was, let's see, one assist shy of a triple-double. He had 14 points, 11 rebounds, nine assists. So when I look at the Knicks, everybody that stepped up yesterday, they needed every single bucket. They needed every single rebound, every single assist. Going into, going into game three, though, I'll be honest, I think the Miami Heat feel very, very comfortable with the rest of this series, especially going into game three, because they played game two without their superstar player, Jimmy Butler, and still had an opportunity to win that game. You mentioned that they needed every rebound. They certainly did. The Knicks wildly out-rebounded the Heat, which is something that Eric Spolstra, head coach of the Miami Heat, talked about at the press conference afterwards. You know, when it becomes winning time, you got to make some plays, and, and you know, those second-chance opportunities were really the deciding factors. So the things that we take pride in, ball in the air, ball on the floor, they pretty much dominated that the, those last six minutes. Um, and then, like I said, they, they hit some big shots. Uh, they're not an easy team to defend, you know, the way they're, they attack and put the ball on the floor and make plays. And uh, that's what you expect uh, in the second round. We're not an easy to, team to defend either. Oh, you know what? I'm going to say his name. Hartenstein. Yeah, I said it correctly. I ain't say Frankenstein. I said Hartenstein because the boy got heart. Four offensive rebounds yesterday. And a lot of things that he did is not going to show up and people say are, are not going to say, you know what, you know, Hartenstein should get the love and the credit. No, I'm going to say it today because I want everybody to know he came up big for the minutes that he played in that ball game yesterday. And if you're a New York Knicks fan, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, 100%. Nine boards in that game. Uh, absolutely effective for him. And I was surprised that the Heat had that level of fight in them without Jimmy Butler. Like I said, if I'm a Heat fan, I feel really good about the fact that this series is tied at one each and that you just survived not only the best blow you could get from the Knicks in a a, a just a, in a very close game, you also survived the momentum that came with that Garden crowd, that home court advantage that you could feel in the fourth quarter watching the game. You survived the Knicks just out-efforting you at times, and I'm not sure that that's going to happen again in Miami, Harry. I, I, I feel like the but Heat should feel pretty good. Can I say this, though? Isn't Jalen Brunson just made for the New York Knicks? Isn't he just made for those moments? 
playoff basketball at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. He has risen to the occasion, not only this entire season, in the last series he outplayed Donovan Mitchell, and the way he has played in this series in the first two games as well. Yeah, Federica pointing out on their show, by the way, the Knicks did get some favorable calls. We all saw that blown shot clock call. That thing was close. All right, coming up, why everyone's getting it wrong when it comes to what the Lakers need from AD the rest of the series. We'll tell you what they actually need next. Fitz and Harry. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. 